I've thought a lot about vibration. Like, I don't think there's any, there's no such thing as a bad vibration. Like all frequencies, they're just waves. But I do think there is something to coherence and harmony that, that there are more coherent waveforms or some kind of synchrony that's happening in the field that is that we experience love or oneness as a synchrony or coherence in the field. Yeah. That's my felt experience. And so what we put the words on to be anger or what we put words on to be sadness, my experience is that that there's something about that that must be incoherent in the field. This is my second conversation with Holly Copeland. She's a human potential coach, a neuro-meditation teacher, a biofield tuning practitioner and breathwork coach, to name just a few of her skills. In this episode, we explore the really fascinating subject of psycho-vibrational healing through biofield tuning and breathwork and awareness practices. We discussed the potential to work with psychological conditioning and trauma at the level of embodied somatic inquiry and at the energetic or vibrational levels and how the two modalities overlap and interweave and how waking up to our natural awareness is both crucial to and a natural consequence of this psycho-vibrational healing work. So welcome back, Holly. It's lovely to talk to you again. Thank you, Dan. I'm delighted to be back. Thank you. So this, is, in a way, is, is part two of a conversation we started in a previous episode, and I'll link to that previous episode in the notes. In that previous episode, we, we talked about how we came to the work that we now do with clients. We both have a history of recovering from health issues and both came to this big reorientation and life change through crisis. And we won't rehash that now, but I think it's really interesting to then see how that plays out in terms of your calling to serve this work for others and to help others and the kind of pathway into that that you've discovered and I know that you've trained in a lot of different modalities and I'm just interested to see how those now weave together for you in into the synthesis that you offer so if you could just share a little bit about that work that would be great you bet oh where to start so I'm going to start with where I am, my my view or perspective on the world now, and then I'll back into the modalities that I teach that support the clients that I work with and people I work with to touch into that. Great. And I've done a lot of thinking about this because I'm writing, as I think I told you, I'm writing a book. And so I have done a lot of pondering and contemplating to hone my message and understanding of what's actually my view now. So the the byline of my book is a scientist's journey to find wholeness in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Okay. So that thesis statement of finding wholeness in a world that feels like it's falling apart, I think encapsulates more than anything what my path and my message is that I was in a place of feeling like the world was falling apart in crisis and not knowing how to get out of that. Like, is this it? Do we just kind of deal with the sadness that we feel for the world and kind of try to muddle through life doing the best we can to contribute in a loving way, which is fine. And if we fall in love with the world again, then we get both. We get to have our hearts full of love all the time and help the world that is so in need of our 
love. And I know Joanna Macy speaks a lot about this because I have befriended one of her teachers recently and we went for a walk and, and was listening to her talk about Joanna Macy's work that I know is close to your heart. And that that kind of place of grief for the world and then coming back into really being in love, being able to be in love with it. So to me, that's that falling in love with the world as a pathway and a doorway into our own well-being and flourishing. And in order to do that, we actually, of course, have to fall in love with ourselves because it's a self inner journey. So the trick is that we think oh, how, how am I going to fall in love with the world that feels like it's falling apart when I all I look out and see is a lot of pain and I see, you know, all of the things that human beings do wrong to hurt the earth. And so it feels like this giant paradox <laughs> when when you're stuck in that place, to me, I'm just speaking from like what it felt like to me. What it felt like to me was how is that even possible? How could I possibly really, truly unconditionally accept everything that's happening in the world and all the crap that's there. It, it feels impossible. And yet that's exactly what all of the sages and the wisdom teachers are actually saying, what Christ is saying, unconditional love, which is unconditional acceptance for the world as it is, which means we have to look at the cut down forest and actually feel accepting and okay about it. And what I discovered was that that that's the inward journey to feel the fullness and wholeness that's here. It's the non-dual path of the knowing of our being as love. And when I did that, then I actually look out on the world that's in pain, but I don't actually feel in pain. I just feel compassion and love. So it is like putting on a set of rose-colored glasses in a way. <laughs> um, because that's my experience of the world now. I mean, it truly is. I, it's not that I'm blind to the pain, but it doesn't hook into me the way it used to. It's like the hook is gone. The grief is gone. And I'm sure I'm still going to uncover more because we all are deepening in our journey. And so I'm not saying, I don't know what, what new pains I haven't uncovered that I will someday uncover to step into more love. But what I can say is that my current experience is vastly different now than it was four years ago. And it is one of what feels like limitless love and compassion for the world as it is, truly as it is, not needing the world to change so I can feel okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's a profound shift, isn't it? I was mm -hmm. thinking about the subtitle of your book, when things feel like they're falling apart and they're kind of apart nature of that. So there's the entropy, things actually breaking down, but then there's the separation element of that. I'm interested what your experience was. Was there a kind of... Internal and external falling apart in that sense. Is there a, there was a kind of fragmentation internally as well, or a feeling of entropy internally? Totally, yeah. There there was a giant kind of internal crisis of where's the ground that I went through that was detailed in my book that I'm that I've written about of like searching, searching, searching for where the beauty is. I mean, I remember I had this audio recording and I was, I was out on a run and I was in complete despair. Like, where is it? Where's the beauty? I don't see it. I don't see the beauty that all the sages are talking about. So I did, I, I, I had to break down. I broke down many, many times. I broke down through plant medicine journeys which I've had many of in the last four years, I broke down. I, I remember one morning, I don't think I said this in the last podcast, waking up and just feeling like there is no meaning here. Take me out to the trash and put me in the garbage can. I don't even understand how, 
what value I possibly have. Yeah. That's how I felt. And all of that breaking down, all of that wandering lost through the woods, I think is, that's the, that's the hero's journey, right? That's, that's the getting really, really, really lost until nothing makes any sense anymore. And somehow in that, and I'm not the first person to have this experience by any means, but you see it over and over and over again. It's like the hand of God kind of reaches out in that moment of deep despair and kind of shines a light and pulls you, pulls you up out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened not just once. It happened in in series of different things that happened to me to step into through meditation, through the teachers I was working with, through my own searching to come to a place where, I, I mean, I have some distinct memories of, of ending a, a meditation, just staring out and just feeling like, wow, it feels like there's pink glasses everywhere I look, look, I just see love. I can't even explain why. It's just what's here now. Mm. Yeah. And so the work that I do is my way of, of supporting people in, in various ways on that same path of working through whatever for them is in the way of them seeing their own being and their own true nature is love. And so I created a program that I call Awaken, Heal, Breathe that combines the modalities of both sort of meditative uh, awareness, mentoring, coaching, guiding. That's the awaken part, awaken to your true nature. And then there is the heal, which is using tuning forks, uh, using biofield tuning. Because I did find, I did so much vibratory work, and I believe because every experience we've ever had is stored as a vibration in our field, and those unprocessed emotions, those the guilt, the shame, the judgment, is like a dissonance in our field. It's, it's uh, like an out-of-tune violin in the orchestra of you, is how I think of it, uh, in orchestra of us. and. So we can go in and tuning forks are one way. There are many modalities, but tuning forks are a very elegant way in a way that really <laughs> resonated, no pun intended, yeah. <laughs> with me to help bring those, the guilt, the shame, the judgment into the light of day and work with it and okay. in a very powerful way. Yeah. And then the so, breath work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's explore the, the, the vibrational healing stuff a bit more mm-hmm. because it's something that was interesting that we've we've both trained within a an organization called raising our vibration so it's we, we're aware of the vibrational nature of a plane of existence and that we can experience ourselves as an energy body and an energy field as you discuss but i haven't actively got involved in in the kind of sound healing side of things and i'm interested to hear a bit more about that so you're talking about um processing uh psychological conditioning and held stories about ourselves shame guilt those kind of emotions that can be uh very deeply uh, entrenched as mm-hmm. as part of our conditioning but working with them on a on a purely vibrational level or or psycho vibrational level i'm interested to know how that works do you just treat the discordant vibration yeah that's a great question i i haven't ever heard it or termed it this way of psycho vibrational but actually i think it's a brilliant term because i think it does encapsulate the essence of the work i do because when i'm working with a client and i'm it's called combing. I'm combing through their biofield with the fork and listening for 
resistance in the field. That's what we call it. So the fork, I, I literally draw my fork, like dragging it through the vibrational field of the client. Okay. And, and I'll feel like a, I'll feel a, a pushback in the field and then the tone will change in the fork. Okay. And when that happens, I stop and I let the fork just ring. And the fork is having a conversation with the body. And because all of our organs have their own frequency, their own resonant frequency. Yeah. And the, so the, the physical body, the part we can see is the way I think of it is like, it's having a conversation with the field. It's responding to the field. And so as this harmonic vibration of the fork comes into the field, then let's say people know like anger, for example, is stuck in the liver as an example. So that vibration of anger, which is held in the liver will start to alchemize and transform. And understanding that I'm I'm sort of hand-waving at this because I don't really have the science to describe exactly what's happening. So I'm just describing what it feels like and what people experience which they experience, they'll say, oh, I feel sadness or I feel anger in my body. And it's, yeah. it actually like kind of starts to resonate and it starts to shed and release. And we do releasing through the breath. And sometimes I'll say, do you remember, I'm at about age 10, do you have a memory associated with that anger? And they might very well at that point say, they might say no, but oftentimes they'll say, yeah, Oh, my dad, we, we moved a lot. And because of that, I was really angry about having to leave school, something, something like that. And so that's a little bit of that psycho work you're talking, that psychological work of processing that. Yeah. And, and we'll work together on that memory and we'll just acknowledge it, bring it into the light of day and let the fork heal, heal and process it. So it, it is a, yeah, it's a it is a psycho uh, vibrational, vibrational technology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. No, it's just interesting because I work. I'm a transpersonal psychology coach. I, I, I it is quite psychologically oriented my work with clients, and but I do it through s- somatic inquiry. So I'm not using a, a, a kind of instrument of detection other than myself in that sense. And in that, we're inhabiting this neuroceptive field. This, I'm, I'm guessing, it's the same as a biofield in terms of your language. So, where we can feel each other, mm-hmm. and and my work is welcoming experience from presence. So there will be a a very clear um, if there's a presenting issue, for example, something that someone is consciously aware of, they'll locate it in their body as a sensation and we work with the wisdom of the body and so we we let go of the rational mind for a while thank you for your input but it's not required right now (laughs) and we go we just drop into the body and so it's a combination of physical sensations Mm -hmm. that are then attached to a kind of emotional tone that will also have a location in the body and then underneath that quite often core beliefs usually limiting beliefs these kind of very deep, normally very young, like you say, it's quite often sub eight years old conditioning. And we just work with it somatically. So I'm assuming, if I were to guess, we're doing the same work in terms of the the kind of re- internal resonance that is discordant or, or a lack of resonance. I really like, I don't know if you if you know Philip Shepard, he uh, he uses uh, a singing bowl as a reference quite a lot. That the human body is a resonator, and when you when you receive vibrational energy, you should ring. But your conditioning is like stuffing scarves and cotton balls and all kinds of stuff into the bowl, so that life's still ringing the singing bowl, but it's just going dunk, dunk, dunk. And what we're, what we're doing basically is allowing that stuff that's clogging up your system to to move and to free itself naturally, and then you start to resonate. Then you start to sing back in chorus with the world. 
Oh, I love that. That's that is, you just encapsulated in your words and verbiage and terminology what it feels like I'm doing when I'm working with clients. And I, I don't know Philip Shepard, but I am now going to look him up. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's good. He's worth, he's worth looking up. Yeah, because it is. It, it, that's such a great description. I mean, when I bring a fork into the field and there's anger, judgment, pain there, it sounds like donk, donk. And what's interesting about it is that the forks are very subtle. And so I can pick up very subtle nuances often, not always, but, and my skill is growing, but I'll get messages in my own body. So I'm clairsentient. I'll feel what my clients probably similar to what you do when you tune in as well in your work. And I'll give you an example. So yesterday I was working with a client and I brought the fork into the field and what it felt like was, I said, I feel like you're paralyzed. I'm, I'm in the early part of your childhood and I feel paralyzed. Um, and I couldn't explain, like, that's a very subtle feeling, right? To feel paralyzed. The fork felt paralyzed, but that was the feeling that was coming to me. And it turned out that this, this person had had, had, had a, an illness and she was held and kept in a, in a kind of a restrained they they wanted to protect her neck or body or something and so she was restrained for quite a long time as a child in some kind of a, a seat that she was made to sit in and so that that kind it's really interesting like they're very the forks are very they pick up these subtle nuances of things that happen to people um that it's sort of inexplicable to me even how that's possible but yeah. and yet that's my experience of working with the forks in the field. It's they they tell a story about the person's life, and they and through that telling the story, they they we I work to release that story uh, vibrationally from people's feel. Yeah, I think it's to do with that orientation, isn't it? That still, and I catch myself doing it quite often. That it's still difficult to completely inhabit the reality of life as energy not as matter mm -hmm. so to drop what you were taught as a child that things are solid that matter is primary in the universe uh, and and then also the layer below that this this all pervasive groundless ground of of awareness and that the interplay between those i'm, I'm interested to kind of bring it back to your the awake part of that does that how does that play into your work would you combine those two elements for example well you are aren't you in this in this I program i am and what i what i hear in that question is there's a bit of a paradox isn't there because if we were just in awareness then it wouldn't really matter what pain is in the body because we're aware to the fact that we're actually already whole and there's nothing to fix just as we are. Yeah. So standing from awareness's point of view, any pain that we feel is actually fine and welcome to be here because it isn't fundamentally who and what we are. However. However. <laughs> we have a body. We have a psychology. We live yeah. in a world that does have matter in it. And I think that's what's interesting about the evolution of this kind of work now. It really is a synthesis of of the different aspects of life. So the kind of form and emptiness are equally important and actually need to be addressed from the form side, from the emptiness side, simultaneously to recognize that wholeness. Yeah, I love how you put that. Like that takes that form and emptiness Buddhist idea and, and exactly that we work at it from both sides. I hadn't quite, hadn't quite put it, <laughs> put it in those terms, but I love that. Yeah. Because when we do awake awareness, guiding and practices, we're working on the emptiness side, the recognition of our being as empty and, and whole. And when we work on it on the form side, we're accepting the fact that we're in a human body. But one, one thing that helps me with that bridge, bridge between the two is to say, there's no accident. I don't believe 
that consciousness, that this, what's happening here, this, this form, this world of form that we see is an accident that consciousness is manifesting this way. And so if I take that to be true, that this experience I'm having right now in this moment is by design, if you will, is, is chosen conscious. I am choosing this experience. So if I know that I'm choosing this experience, then, then you would say, well, for what, for why, why, why am this consciousness choosing to have this experience right now? And if I take that, it's, if it's to me, it's this, well, for the embodied experience of coming back to knowing our being is love. I'm having an embodied experience of what love means, mm. what love is. And so then it feels like, okay, well then let's work at that vibrational level to open more and more to our experience of being human as love on a vibrational level. And that's where these tools to me are so essential, the working with the vibratory nature of the universe, because we can go directly to the vibrations and coherence and resonance and harmony. And so that our experience, our felt experience is more and more of that love because we're bringing all the vibrations that are swimming in the field back into resonance and harmony. And that creates a more felt human experience of the world as love. Yeah. And I guess the felt experience of vibratory coherence is, is oneness at one point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because when there is just coherence, harmony, resonating without division, that's an experience of oneness. And as you say, it has a flavor of the, the characteristic of it is, is loving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do think I've thought a lot about vibration. Like, I don't think there's any, there's no such thing as a bad vibration. Like all frequencies, are, they're just waves. Yeah. But I do think there is something to coherence and harmony that, that, there are more coherent waveforms or some kind of synchrony that's happening in the field that is that we experience love or oneness as a synchrony or coherence in the field. Yeah. That's my felt experience. And so what we put the words on to be anger or what we put words on to be sadness my experience is that, that there's something about that that must be incoherent in the field. Or is it that emotions that we would consider to be difficult emotions like anger and fear and that the kind of stuckness of them is the incoherent. So it's like a turbulence in a flow. In and of themselves, they are just energy. Like you said, there is no good or bad vibration. It's, it's when they stop moving. Mm. So that's kind of mm. held in the fascia of your body, but obviously also held in the, in the biofield of your system. And that, that's when there's a, there's effectively like turbulence in a river, like a, a, yeah. a stuck log or a rock or something that no longer can s- smoothly move. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a beautiful way of putting it. I think that could be, Dan, because, and that would be consistent with, like, the Eastern traditions of using, for example, acupuncture to go to points in the body to allow energy to flow and move. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I actually think what we experience as coherence or harmony is very likely the movement and the flow of energy through the body, through the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And turbulence, anger is like a stuck log. Exactly. If it's held, I'm trying to be permissive here for 
non-judgment of all emotions. The expression of anger is a human need. It's a human mm -hmm. faculty. It's a natural outpouring. It's, it's the holding on to that so that it becomes stuck in your system that is the unhelpful part. So I work with movement a lot as well within the somatic process that part of this, part of what you notice is a, a memory or an emotion can bounce around within the body in a seemingly random way. You might feel something in your throat, something in your gut, something in your leg that may all be connected. But actually when we tend to, when you get good at being able to welcome that and allow it to, I haven't really used this word before, but ripen in a way within you. Mm -hmm. So by welcoming it, we're allowing the full expression of what was suppressed and held because it's always a clenching, a holding in somehow, whether it's a fearful contraction or whether it's a, I can't cry in this situation, I've got to tamp it down or I can't shout in this situation, I've got to clench around the emotion or the, the experience. So you, by allowing it to blossom into its full expression, there's always a movement of direction. It can be really subtle. So, so it's normally very helpful to, to feel the pull in the way it wants to move. And then, and then the, there's quite often a sense of a kind of a, a bottleneck for a while, a building up of pressure. And then there'll be a release. And that normally comes with a lot of emotion or, or a lot of heat, a lot of sense of energy moving in the body. You said you experienced that, these moments where you're kind of dragging this friction in the energy field. You can feel that, that stuckness there or that need to stop at that point. Can you also then sense that movement afterwards and opening afterwards? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the fork will literally ring, like ring out. Wow. like a beautiful church bell or something. And as opposed to being tightened and constricted in the field. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So how does, how does the breath aspect of that triad work? So the breath work, I use the technique, developed by my teacher, Julia Mick. It's called The Breath of Love. And there's three main principles, which are going to be very familiar to you when I say them. So the first one is to relax. So we do, we start with a very deep, relaxing breath. And then we breathe to like an activation holotropic breath that gets the breath moving through the body and activated. So literally getting that chi or energy flowing and in such a way that if there is a stuck or held energy, then it wants to push that, basically encourage the energy to flow wherever it's stuck. And then an allowing, a surrender into the body and surrender into the breath and allow the breath to flow naturally through the body mm -hmm. on its own. So it's, 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 it's a guided process through what it sounds like the work that you do or the work that mm -hmm. I do with tuning forks. It's just another modality. And I find that what's beautiful about the breath work is that people are doing it to themselves because they're the ones that are breathing. They're the ones that are creating the shift. And they're the ones that then have this release. There's a little bit about with the tuning forks, it's sort of me, the practitioner, doing it to them. So I think the breath work is very empowering for that reason, because they are in charge and they are creating this shift. Yeah. So there's a sense of, wow, I did that. I All I did was breathe in this way granted I'm guiding them and there's music and but it's deeply empowering to know that we can transform ourselves and our experience in this way through the breath yeah yeah and I think that's really important if you think of yourself as a coach that empowerment that you're not there isn't this kind of dependency yeah that you have to rely on a therapist for the rest of your life that you're coming into your being your power 
and and I think there's something really important also about the democratization of of this kind of work generally if we're going to mature into a, a kind of ecological spiritual culture you can't have a priesthood gatekeeping the tools you can you can only access the good stuff if you give us your tithes and 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 prostrate yourself before us this is this needs to be the kind of full democratization of of this spiritual unfolding doesn't it absolutely i love that what you said about right this isn't the priesthood this isn't you and me as practitioners that kind of people worship the work we do and we assist them there is a i love that a democratization of this work really it's helping each individual see that they are the buddha or the christ or the sacred being that we're all sacred beings every single one of us and none is more or less than another we're all the eyes of god looking out on the world and everyone as rumi said everything you want you already are and you know a lot of people helped and supported me on my journey and i'm sure i know you would say the same right and yeah. we are supporting each other on this journey. I, there's no way I would be where I am without the myriad of coaches and teachers that I've had. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, th- and that should never change. Right. We, we need to be taught and we need to be mentored throughout our lives. Even right. if we lived in a completely ecological, spiritual community, that would just be built into that culture. Whereas we're having to activate and be part of this relearning, I guess, rediscovering mm-hmm. of who we are. So, yeah, I mean, I think coaching is one of the most important things that you could be engaged in, quite frankly. This, mm-hmm. this facilitating of this work for other people's healing and growth and discovery of their true nature is it doesn't really get much more important, I think. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Sacred work. Yeah. So just to frame these three practices that you do, how, what's the interplay then? How does it work on a, on a practical level in terms of how you incorporate them together with clients? Yeah. So I create, when I created this, since it's a, it starts as a 10 session package. I had this vision of three coaching sessions, three biofield tuning sessions and, and three breathwork sessions, and then one kind of wild card or one that brings it all together. And what I've found is it's very organic, depending on the person. Uh, very often we start the first call with coaching awakening practices. So we don't jump into a tuning session or a breathwork session. And I just establish the ground of where they are and do some meditative guidance and somatic, like what is basically somatic unwinding work with them. And then the next session, depending on my intuition about what would benefit them most, I might suggest, well, let's try a biofield tuning session and, or a breathwork session. And then very often I might do like three back-to-back biofield tuning sessions because they do build on each other and people can have profound shifts in one session, but often it helps to build. So maybe we do two or three of those. And then we'll, at that point, I'll say, I think some breath work could be really useful. So let's, you haven't had one of those sessions. Let's try that. And sometimes I intersp Spurs them. It just, it's an intuition based on what the client needs and everybody seems to be different. So there isn't really a formula. There's more of a toolbox and a bag of tricks that I grab from and depending on what, what, what seems like would serve them the most. Yeah, that sounds flexible and person-centered, doesn't it? It is. The yeah. I think it's interesting just to come back to you talked about the 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 three phases of the breath work and and actually I do work with uh, a very similar kind of three principles I guess. So what I tend to talk about is is grounding, attunement and release. Mm. And 
So the grounding is is relaxation, but on deeper and deeper levels. So we have kind of physiological relaxation, psychological relaxation, existential relaxation, or whatever you want to call that, uh, fundamental relaxation. So that's learning to experience oneself as as being and mm-hmm. and to discover that that's trustworthy over time because it's contactable regularly and yeah. and and then from there it's much easier to attune so i think about that charging the kind of holotropic breath work is in in a way so you there's a cultivation of energy within the system but there's also a kind of easier noticing of where there isn't flow of breath in that moment so in a way that is an attunement process isn't it because it's it's making it much more apparent where the work needs to be oriented mm-hmm. and for a lot of people the, the, that can be really difficult to tune in because we don't want to go there because we're conditioned away from that we shy away from our direct experience so that safety work first is really mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. and vice versa as you feel safe, you can attune better and then you attune to deeper levels of being. And throughout that whole process, then we're just basically just just opening to so that release work is your biofield work. There's there's a release of energy and there is in my somatic inquiry work. And quite often that might feel psychological. So it's a release of the need to be in control it's a release of the need to defend a personal self it's the release of tension in the body that's holding yourself holding the whole story yeah holding your shit together basically yeah. we can let go of that yeah yeah no thank you for for doing that because it sounds like actually there there's quite a bit of similarity so so in that way that the idea of you like your initial sessions being about grounding and and mm-hmm. recognizing awareness, recognizing safety, recognizing fundamental okayness before we get into anything that might feel like difficult territory. Yeah, terms- it's like seeing, as you said, like seeing the open, the emptiness, like seeing the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you so- can point somebody to that in the initial experience. And then what I also find is that then as part of my follow-up sessions, I always have some coaching in the beginning and we work with whatever's present for them as a way to point then again, back to awareness, back to the ground of, of their being. I'm sure you find this too, don't you? Like working with whatever whatever experience they're having right now, like, oh, Thanksgiving is coming and I'm really stressed about all of the getting ready for the family dinner and the holidays and all that. And I can feel the tension building. It's like, great, well, let's work with that. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. We've got something. To... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what's also very interesting is that often the th- those presenting, in air quotes, problems are quite often not at all what you end up working with so they're they're initial presenting issues that are kind of very narrative mind egoic personal self and then quite quickly you just drop below that layer to something that may be related but it's interesting that this work moves and shifts within a session in very surprising ways often yes absolutely Absolutely. And so when you say attunement, you, your your path was bring the ground attunement and release. And is that that attunement is, if I'm understanding it, but just to reiterate, is like the turning back again and again, back to awareness, attuning back to the truth of your being as awareness. Is that true? That's one aspect of it. Yeah. But it's also attunement to the feeling body. So it's interoception as well. It's the ability to sense what's going on here in your body, both physically and emotionally. And and then learning to trust that as a source of knowing. Yeah. So so I would say the process is to ground people into their awareness. 
into awareness, into being, into the safe feeling of an agendaless experience of self in the body. I love that. (laughs) Agendaless experience of self in the body. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it may be fleeting if you're not practiced in that and you're so used to being absent from your body. But very quickly, people can have that. A very profound experience of being safe in the core of your body and that actually being safe in the core of your body there's a kind of profound stillness and we're we're pointing directly to awareness at that even though it's felt with at first locally within the body and i tend to work with the pelvic bowl quite a lot because that's a a long way away from your head Mm. really sitting down into the bowl of your being and again this this singing Mm. bowl metaphor comes back that we can feel really grounded it's the center of your body and most people can quite quickly feel a stillness there and they tune in and then from there you start to feel downward contact with the earth so you feel like physically grounded and that just frees up space above your pelvic well into your heart space and your other senses of knowing so that you can start to notice stuff. And again, it's like taking those pieces of material out of the singing bowl. There's, there's space to experience, and it feels safe to experience because A, we've got this kind of anchor in our body, but B, we're already recognizing that it's something much more fundamental than just physical safety. It's existential safety. Right. And, and then you can notice better. You can attune better to and be with whatever wants to be seen, wants to be experienced. Exactly. There's space to be. Yeah. And so it's not really linear, but it it tends to start with that grounding first, and then then we attune, and then that allows release. And then it becomes a virtuous circle of of experience over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what you said is is the essence of the work to me that creating it's finding the ground, the safe ground of awareness of your own being in your own being as your own being that can be with whatever's happening. Yeah. That's then there's room for the sadness to come up. Yeah. The grief we feel for the world can be here. And it has a safe container to inhabit. Yeah. And the more that we lean into that, right, the more it, it presents itself and unfolds until all there's left is love. Yeah. Yeah. And you're safe to grieve. You're safe to be distraught and angry at the, the, the way the world is, is no longer a a direct threat to you yeah so that you can be open to it and and then that that is just a process of allowing the movement of life in all its aspects that once we sit back enough to allow the movement then that is acceptance you're you're not trying to stop anything exactly you're not trying to stop anything and i think that's the essence of what the place that I got in a trap as, as a conservation scientist was my whole life was about trying to stop something, trying yeah. to stop the destruction of the earth. And I, that's where I got burnt out. Yeah. It was just like there would never be enough time, money, or resources to save the planet. I couldn't stop it. And it was that like existential crisis of reckoning. Like, I can't stop this. And it's wearing me out. It's mm. exhausting me. Waking up every day trying to stop what's what's happening. And the paradox is that when you give up on trying to stop it and you open to the flow of life that's happening, that's already happening, like we are aware right now, before we do anything else, we're already aware there's already a flow of life. So the mind 
just has to see that. That's all it has to do is see that that's what's happening. Yeah. And in that openness, in that allowing, we get both. We get to love the world and be in the world and participate and then co-create. And that co-creation could look like I want to engage with this environmental group to work on the preservation of this rainforest. It doesn't preclude that action, but it comes now from an entirely different place, not one of lack and anger and sadness, but one of abundance and love and gratitude. Yeah. And then you have boundless energy to do anything you want. Yeah. No longer running on willpower. You're just running on life. Mm-hmm. That's being in the flow. You can find out more about Holly's Awaken, Heal, Breathe program, her biofield tuning work, and also to book a free 30-minute discovery call with her via her website, heartmindalchemy.com. I'm Dan McTiernan. I'm a transpersonal psychology coach and an embodied meditation teacher. And together with my wife, Johanna, we run Earthbound, a coaching organization working at the fertile edge between transpersonal psychology, embodiment, and permaculture. To find out more, please visit our website at earthbound.fi.